0: What's going on, guys? John Hasselbauer here from thelines.com, and in this video, we'll be going over everything you need to know about the 2023 Wells Fargo Championship. Before we get any further, make sure you are subscribed to thelines.com, the Lions' YouTube channel. Uh, Check out thelines.com for all of my latest articles. You can also find that linked in the description. Um, And if you're interested in any NBA playoff content, as that starts to heat up, or any post-NFL draft content, uh, you can find that as well. Anything that's topical in the world of sports is covered at thelines.com uh, and on this lines YouTube channel. So uh, ring that bell, comment, like, subscribe, all that good stuff if you haven't already. It is always much appreciated. Um, before we get into Wells Fargo week, uh, let's just look quickly back at everything that happened in the golf world. Last week, um, a fairly quiet week with just the Mexico Open on tap, but, uh, it, it was, it was an interesting, uh, tournament in the end. It was between really John Rom and Tony Finau down the stretch as we all would have expected. Um, and it was actually Tony Finau who edged out John Rom, So, uh, it goes to show that you can't just hand every tournament to John Rom every time he shows up. But if we're playing on a long and generous golf course, that is going to produce a, an onslaught of drivers and approaches from 200+. It's really hard for John Rahm to not find himself in contention at a tournament like that. For Tony Finau, it was conceivable that he could uh, not win, which is why I faded the two top two players and bet the next three players on the betting board, as it turns out, all three of those guys that I bet were nowhere near contention, and it was just a dogfight between the two pet, two best players in the field. So uh, what are you going to do? It doesn't always go our way, uh, and and if you read my tournament preview, you know I loved Tony Fino last week. I didn't love his number. I think my first impression looking at the board last week was can I do Tony Fino and one other guy at like 30 to 1? My first impression um, after I wrote my preview article was I'm going to have a two man card. It's going to be Tony Finau at like nine to one and Gary Woodland at like 30 to one. Um, but you know, I, I do try to not go too crazy with my unit exposure. Um, anything plus Tony Finau would have been well overexposed. I, I can really only, uh, do it a, a single bullet on a guy of Tony Finau's odds at like eight to one, eight fifty um, is where he kind of opened up. So, that that's just not a call I'm gonna make. There are spots to do a single bullet, and you know maybe I got caught with this at the Masters as well when John Rahm was a, a very like sensible play at about nine to one. Um, but if you're not the odds-on favorite and you're single-digit odds, I just don't feel comfortable betting uh, betting that person outright. But some weeks you're priced out of betting the favorite. That's been the case at. Well, the Masters, you had sort of eight to one guys. You could have bet Scotty or, or Rory as a single bullet that week as well, but that's not fun. Uh, at the Mexico Open, you, you really could never have considered betting John Rom. He was like plus 250. Um, I mulled over betting the without uh, Rom or the without Rom and now markets, and that would have been a little bit better of a sweat with guys like Brandon Wu and Akshay um, popping up in the research. That they, you could have gotten a decent payout last week if you went... With that market you probably could have got both of those guys at like 60 to one or so so maybe that's the learning here mexico open after two years uh, two single digit winners two bombers two guys who are just better uh players than the rest of the field um so congrats to tony Finau. i backed him at the 2021 mexico open when he was about double the odds he was this year and he had the worst uh two days of putting of his entire career if you look back at the individual round stats On Thursday and Friday, he lost like four strokes each day. It was absolutely ridiculous to watch uh, and to sweat when you have uh, someone with his T-to-green prowess to do what he did on the greens uh, to start. But his last six rounds on uh, Vedanta Vallarta have been absolutely dominant. So good for Tony. I think the narrative will continue to be great. You can beat these weak fields, but what can you do? in a major where he does have great finishes, but he hasn't seemed to be able to close the door at a big major event, even event such as this with Wells Fargo after his, uh, his Northern Trust win, which is I think plenty impressive, but the majority of his wins on his growing resume are not the most impressive wins. but what can you do? You can only beat the field in front of you. Um, so we'll, we'll see how he goes this week at Quail Hollow. Um, Last thing I want to touch on from last week. Um, You know, I tweeted out that I was very surprised that John Rahm is skipping the Wells Fargo Championship this week. Uh, And I'll actually share my screen so that we can go to the favorites in this week's field, which you can find on the Wells Fargo Championship odds page. Um, So when you look at the list of favorites, obviously... Rory McIlroy is the favorite, but we, are, we have a glaring omission of world number one and world number two. So the goal of these elevated events at the start of the season was, can we all just agree to come together for like six to eight tournaments a year that you guys normally would not go to, but because we're getting everybody to commit together, um, we're going to have significantly better fields, which is a better product for the fans, which is more... Uh, payout for all of you guys and more FedEx cup points and just more drama in general, everybody wins. Right. Um, I feel like Rory might've started a little snowball effect here when he skipped out on the RBC heritage. Um, and now it's sort of like, well, if Rory's not going to go, why should I? And in our next elevated event, since the RBC heritage, you can see the two best players in the world are skipping. I think that's a big problem for the PGA Tour, and it's not a great look for the Wells Fargo Championship either, that an event on a pretty storied golf course that in Quell Hollow that has hosted the President's Cup last week. It's hosted the 2017 PGA Championship. It's not the oldest course in the world either. It's done all this history um, over the course of like 60 years. So um, it's a really like good championship course that tests the best players and should have the best players rise to the top. You would think if you were one of the best players in the world, especially a couple weeks out from the PGA championship, that this would serve as really good prep for you. Even if you're not like dying to be here, if you want to use it as like a a tune up practice round, like that would work too. Um, But in any case, Scheffler and Rahm aren't here. And I tweeted with Rom that I was, I was shocked and it makes zero sense why he would, play the Mexico open and skip this event instead, and then take two weeks off before the PGA championship. Um, I was met with a lot of pushback on that. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't feel so passionately about that, that uh, um, I don't see where everybody else is coming from with it. And I think what I'm probably undervaluing is uh, the Mexico open being in a, a Spanish speaking country. I don't think John Rahm has a tight affiliation with the country of Mexico. And it seems a little random that he's that passionate as uh, someone from Spain about playing in Mexico at a Greg Norman resort course that really does not bring crowds. It didn't in the first year, it really didn't in the second year. It's not a layout that's very conducive to having mass crowds. This is not a live Adelaide situation where the country is absolutely starved for golf and you're playing in front of packed crowds in a really cool atmosphere because you have brought a competitive golf to a golf starved part of the country or part of the world. That's not the case at Vedanta Vallarta. It's just a resort course uh, in Puerto Vallarta, which is basically like a resort town. It's not like we're playing in, uh, you know, downtown Mexico city where they used to have events. And that was a lot more of a passionate Uh, Mexican fan base uh, for golf following. So I don't necessarily think Rom is growing the Spanish golf footprint by playing at the Mexico open in a week that nobody's really covering the event. And if he wasn't there, it would be a completely meaningless event entirely. So that was why I was kind of surprised by it, but you know what he wins, he wins last year. He has an obligation to return as uh, the defending champion He's going to have a lot of obligations next year if that's uh, how he goes about it. And just no matter what, I'm going to commit to every event that I won the year prior. I guess we'll see him at, at the Amex too again. So um, it's interesting. I'm not going to fault him for being a man of his word. Um, but I think the prioritization of events on his schedule um, may not necessarily lend him to, um, you know, the the most compelling golf competition this year. Um, obviously, he gave himself a really good chance to win a tournament uh, against a very weak field. I would like to imagine that his competitive juices are a little bit um, more fiery than that and that he's more motivated to beat the best players than to show up at a little hit and giggle in Mexico and try to defend his title against another bad field. But that's my piece on Ram. Uh in, in any case, a transition to this week at the Wells Fargo Championship and looking at the betting board here with the list of favorites, um, it does make this week a lot more palatable to bet. When we look at the first seven designated events or majors that have happened this year, including or starting at the Century Tournament of Champions, um, the uh, I believe five of those seven have been won by John Rahm or or Scotty Scheffler. So those guys are not here. The only one who's won um, a designated event outside of those two, are Kirk Kitayama at the Arnold Palmer Invitational and uh, Matt Fitzpatrick. So uh, it is definitely feeling like it's a little bit more open now that we have uh, just one prohibitive favorite in the in the field this week, and that is Rory McIlroy. He's coming off of back to back missed cuts at the Players and the Masters. So uh, somebody that when you talk about a single bullet after Tony Fino won at these odds last week. Um, less appealing to me just because, you know, I'm not going to bet a single bullet on somebody who can't even make a cut in back-to-back weeks. He's been unflappable at this event. There's no doubting that he is, uh, someone who's finished outside the top 10 just once. And it was a top 16, uh, over the last eight years, I believe. So this is a perfect fit for him. It's Tom Fazio. Of course it's long. He can bomb away. He knows these greens very well. He won the last time we were here in 2021. So on the course fit and course history standpoint, absolutely the deserving family. And I think these are fair odds for Rory McIlroy, but I won't be going there personally. And then uh, looking down the rest of the board is Patrick Cantlay. He's kind of slotted himself as the next best player after the big three of Rahm, Rory and Scheffler. Uh, 15 to 1 odds, I think are very, very good odds as we're looking at the the grid here on the lines. Um, on FanDuel Sportsbook, that would be a very good bet if you haven't filled out a card yet. I think that is uh, very interesting. Tony Fino has climbed all the way up to the third um, favorite this week. I think that's a bit of an overreaction coming off of the win last week. He doesn't have great uh, course history here, but um, obviously would seem to be a, a good course fit after winning on a, a very driver-heavy, long-iron-heavy track at uh, Vida Antivajarta last week. The rest of the favorites, now we get into more of like this grouped up after Xander Shoffley at 17 to one. It's a very hodgepodge mix in the 20 to 25 range. Um, really all these guys, Spieth Hoblin, Cam Young, Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, and uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, even if we want to go down to Sung Jay, Jason Day, and Max Homa up to 29. That's interesting. Those guys all in the 20s, I think they'll all have pretty mixed, um, you know, handle this week, when we talk about uh, betting popularity, all of these guys do well in difficult conditions, and that is kind of the story here at the Wells Fargo Championship. So going past um, the top of the board, as we look to um, the breakdown of this course, we are at Quill Hollow Club. It is 7,521 yards. Uh, it is a par 71, so that makes that play even longer. There are only three uh, there are only three par fives and there are 11 par fours. Eight of those par fours are over 450 yards. So similar to a major championship, um, you are going to get a lot of those 450 yard plus holes that have a lot of 200 plus yard approaches that mean a lot of drivers, um, and a lot of long irons. And that usually means a lot of missed greens. So an importance on a scrambling, the greens are a little bit above average in size. So you get a lot of these long um you know long birdie putts, which means that scoring is again just going to be kept in check. You need to be a good lag putter here. There's a lot of three putts that happen um at Quill Hollow over the years at the Wells Fargo Championship. And these are fast Bermuda greens that look to be even even faster than usual when we have the president's cup. So they are capable of uh getting these greens to be super fast. So I would say to summarize uh Quill Hollow, it is a bomber's course. It has rewarded the longest hitters uh, primarily over the years. Winners like uh, Rory McIlroy, uh, Max Homa was top 15 in driving distance when he won here in 2019. Jason Day has been elite in driving distance when he's come and dominated here. Same with Ricky Fowler and same with JB Holmes. So uh, there are always contenders who are these fairway finders and just play out of the fairway and get a little bit more rollout that way. And, And the shorter hitters tend to survive on the PGA Tour because they're good Long iron players, Um, Colin Morikawa is a great example of that. He's not the longest hitter in the world, but he does well on long tracks anyway because he's one of the best um, on his approaches from about 200 plus yards. So definitely, I would say uh, uh, being elite in proximity from 175 plus yards is more important than driving distance, but there's a lot of guys you can find this week who are above average in driving distance and really good with their long iron. So I'm looking for those types of players. I'm looking for guys who perform well in comp courses, so Torrey Pines, Riviera, and Bay Hill. Definitely the big three here that have the most correlation with Quail Hollow guys like, um, Homa, uh, JB Holmes and James Hahn are a very random group of players, but they've all won at both, uh, Riviera for the Genesis Invitational and they've won at Quail Hollow for Wells Fargo. So definitely some overlap with that, genesis invitational leaderboard um i know john Rom here this week and so that is um uh, opening the door for the rest of the field um keith mitchell was i believe a runner-up or or closely in the mix at that event this year and he's another player who um has a very unblemished history at um at quill hollow club um other than that, I threw in a couple comp courses of recent major championship venues. This was, again, a major venue in 2017. Um, so Wingfoot and and Page Black are two, like just pure bomber um, courses that I think would correlate fairly well to this one. And then uh, Shadow Creek, Congaree, and Summit Club are all Fazio designs that Rory McElroy has played very well on. He's won at the Summit Club. And Congaree, those are easier than what's in store here, but courses that if you're just um, just longer than the rest of the field, you have a little bit of a leg up. So that is all of the need to know information. I would say there is, um, uh, behind quail hollow. That was a quick, uh, quick glance at the odds page. If you want to dive in even further to every, uh, detail you need to know, um, the key stats, why they're key stats, the correlated stats, uh, players that I'm very fond of. My short list. All of that is here in detail at uh, thelines.com. dot com. Um, you can just search my name. You can search my YouTube at you at my Twitter at, at PGA Tout um, if you want to find that article. Uh, many ways to get there. I'm going to switch gears now to my betting card and my model. So, um, looking at the model here in this spreadsheet. Um we'll just go straight to the top 10 or actually let, let's, let's go through very quickly uh, what stats I put into that model. Um, so I led with comp course history. I think whenever we have a difficult course um, where, where pars are a good score, that's actually an outlier on the PGA tour. So some of the recent form on shorter courses or birdie is not necessarily translatable to what you need to do here. So I put a lot of weight on comp course history. We just went through the comps, those long, difficult courses. Approach is always important, um, but a layering approach with some additional proximity from 200 plus and a small weight just because it's only a 25-yard range, but a small weight on, on 75 to 200 as well. Um, I have it hidden here, but there is a, a weighted rank of 75 175 plus uh, where more than half of the approach shots are going to come from this week. So... That is crucial. There are not many wedge shots on this course. Some players who are great on approach, I'm thinking like a, a Russell Henley, who's not in this field, but just an example of a type of player who's great on approach because he's elite from inside 150. That's not going to work so much here. Um, Sung so actually is a good example of a player like that too. He, he's good from 200 plus, but he's really getting all of his um, approach metrics Uh, from inside 150 yards. So you don't really get to take advantage of a skill set like that on a course like this that has so many 450 yard plus par fours, um, strokes gain around the green. You don't have to be a great around the green player to do well here, but you do have to scramble for a lot of pars. So anytime, um, there is not a high greens regulation percentage, I'm going to put a little bit more weight on strokes gain around the green. Um, but it's pretty straightforward. The complex is here. So if you're not the gre- the greatest uh, short game player in the world, you can get away with it here, definitely. You can easily stay level to the field and win a tournament like this from around the green. Um, but it- it's a nice tab for sure. We talked about long par four scoring, bogey avoidance, and difficult co- scoring conditions. It's kind of an extension of comp course history. Um, I like to put T to green over the last 12 rounds in here to sort of um, increase the weight on recent form coming in. Uh, the majority of these stats are last 36, so I like to mix it up in the mixed condition model that way. Um, stroke, skin around, stroke skin off the tee and driving distance combined together, I think, are very important here. It's not just a pure bomber track in the way that uh, Vedanta Vallarta is. There is a skill to hitting the fairway here, and if you hit it long and straight, you are really set up uh, to hit these greens of regulation and start to gain on the field that way. Um, the more birdie putts you have, the better here because uh, it's just going to be really hard to, to find birdies. So if you're hitting a 200-yard uh, approach from the rough, you're just very unlikely to, to hold these fast Bermuda greens. So uh, being able to, to be strong in total driving and have that extra driving distance is a huge plus this week. Three putt avoidance is a lag putting stat that I think is important here. I've got uh, total putting and Bermuda putting a little bit higher weighting on Bermuda putting this week, just because the greens are pure Bermuda uh, and the types of players we've seen play well here have done well on the Florida swing and other areas where um, you just need to be familiar with Bermuda. If you're not, it's just, it's just shown to be hard to win here. If you don't really pop with the putter, um, a difficult event to win at level to the field in putting just because you're not going to get that many looks here. So you kind of have to hit a bunch of these 20 footers to capitalize on um, difficult holes that aren't gimme, gimme birdies. Um, so that is the model. And when we look at the, uh, the players who popped in it, it's no surprise. It's Roy McIlroy, number one, Jason day, number two, a um, little bit of a surprise because he's been good, Not better than most of the players in this field, but definitely spectacular at Quill Hollow. He's a past multi-winner here, I believe. So um, that's not too surprising. And then Max Homa is also here in the top three. So a lot of Quill Hollow winners. I think that validates the model pretty well. Um, It maybe shows that I put a little bit more emphasis on comp conditions than immediate form when putting this model together. Uh, After those three, we've got Tony Fino, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, uh, Wyndham Clark at number seven is interesting. I think he's somebody who's kind of just established himself as a big model popper. Um, maybe a little bit skittish on, on whether we believe that after, um, a mediocre performance, I would say at the Mexico open, he did claw his way back to a top 25 finish. Uh, but he was the third favorite in the field that Mexico never really sniffed contention in it. And of course that was perfectly suited for him. Um, this course is also well suited for Wyndham Clark. Um, is he going to pick up his first career pga tour win an elevated event field unlikely but i think you get a pretty good discount on him around 75 80 to one this week after he was 20 to one last week um with all of very similar skill sets to what you needed last week just that added ability um to scramble in difficult conditions so wyndham Clark, maybe more of a dfs play for me this week but somebody i i don't think we should overreact to just because of a top 25 finish last week. He's still playing incredible golf, uh, number seven in strokes Gate approach and a very capable long iron player, very long player as well. Um, Victor Hovlin, we'll talk about, but he's, um, definitely my pick. If I had to pick one guy, he's my pick to win this week. I think he checks the most boxes here. And he's a very popular play for many reasons. Uh, Jordan speed at number nine, Sung Jay at number 10. Um, that is the top 10 of the model. Um, as we now filter this to the guys that I bet, and you can see spoilers already, but it is a very tight card of just three players. I don't always make a card that, uh, short, but it's an elevated event. Um, and I see a lot of value here where I sent an odds projection on, uh, probably Sunday evening before odds came out where I thought the odds were going to, Uh, fall. And I actually find that very helpful. I'm going to try to do that more often because it helps me set a moment in time where I've looked at this board. I've looked at the numbers. I've done my preview. uh, Everything is still fresh. And the, the week before its tournament just ended. And now here's what I think the odds should be. Um, I think I did a pretty good job with it, to be honest. The, uh, the, the, there's going to be variance from book to book, but um, I think I got the order of favorites right for the most part. and so feeling good about the projections, uh, it was pretty easy for me to t- make a decision on some of these guys who's uh, who had the biggest variance um, on the numbers I was able to get versus where um, I thought they would open. So uh, starting with Victor Hovland, he was the player that I wrote up in my tournament preview spotlight feature. Um, anytime Rory McIlroy has played very well at a at an event, and it's not a severely challenging around the green course, you got to play Victor Hovland there. That's that's just the trend. Um, he's a long hitter. He's an elite ball striker. He can pop with the putter in the same way that Rory can. Um, it's really just the around the green game that differentiates Rory versus uh, Hovland. And that's right. Rory is number three in the world, uh, was number one at, at one point. And Hovland is more of a top 10 player, which that's fine. He's much younger. Uh, he's got a long career ahead of him. But Um, What's always been so interesting to me about Hovland is he does his best around the green on courses that are most difficult um, on major uh, like events on these challenging, like long and difficult courses. Um, I don't understand why that is. You would think that those courses would place the heaviest emphasis on strokes getting around the green, um, which is kind of what exposes him. I don't have an answer for it. I think it could just be a focus thing. He's... He's still young. He's still getting used to the PGA tour grind after three, four or five years max on the tour. So uh, maybe there's something to that extent where he's just hyper focused in weeks like these. Um, but that's enough for me to feel less concerned about strokes getting around the green. Even if you lose a stroke around the green, that's not going to kill you at quill hollow, especially when he's driving the way he is. He's top 20 in driving distance. He's eighth in and strokes getting off the tee. He's just going to have a lot of looks. So if he misses a eight foot birdie putt uh, or sorry, that's, that's not applicable. If he misses a green um, and he can't get up and down uh, any bogeys, he's going to have more birdie looks than, than the average player in this field, because he is going to hit long drives in the fairway at a higher clip than the rest of this field. Um, And if he's doing that, he's a, he's also an elite approach player, 16th strokes game approach top 10 in proximity 200 plus. So I don't think this is a course where the around the green game is going to kill him. He was positive around the green in his debut here in uh, 2021, uh, where he finished uh, T4. So uh, clearly he can do well here, and he's seventh in comp course history. So we know he can play well on long and difficult courses. After Hovland... Uh, Jordan Spieth is the player that I shot thought should be the fourth favorite this week. I would put him ahead of fee for sure. Um uh, I would definitely put him ahead of like Justin Thomas and, uh, and Colin Morikawa. And I think he should be ahead of, uh, Victor Hovland to be honest, but I got him at 25 to one. I think you can still get 23s on Jordan Spieth. Um, I'll actually, let's see if we can go to his, uh, player page because, um, I didn't realize how consistent he'd been in uh, in 2023. Um, looking at the results here, we've got a fourth at the API a 19th at the players, third at Valspar, fourth at the Masters, and second at RBC Heritage. Very impressive um, very impressive results, but it's the strokes gain numbers that are even more impressive to me. Um, if we look at the last... Uh five rounds. He's averaging over 10 strokes gained per round over, over his last five tournaments. Uh that's insane. That is like that is like almost peak Jordan Speith levels. He's adding driving distance. He seems to have figured out things with the putter. Even when he lost in that playoff to Matt Fitzpatrick, he hit a lot of really good putts that just burned the edges and, and could have easily fallen. Um so when we look at Jordan Speed someone who is gaining across all four categories over the last 5 and 10 events seems to have figured out the putter is adding driving distance and the approach seems to be back to the levels that we all know and love from Jordan Speed um all you got to feel good about all of that he was fantastic in the President's Cup at Wells Fargo this year he has not been playing um in the Wells Fargo Championship very often which I don't love Um, But that was the concern going into the Arnold Palmer Invitational this year as well, uh, where he'd only played once before. And what do you know? He came in and he um, almost won that too. So um, he had some comments about being a little bit tired from a heavy schedule. um, But now he's taken two weeks off in a row. He skipped the Zurich. He skipped the Mexico Open. So I think he's going to be refreshed and ready to go for this week. My last bet is Matt Fitzpatrick, uh, the man who beat him in the playoff at the RBC Heritage. Um, Not where my mind first went. Um, This Sharks Gain Approach number is frightening and the reason why he's not higher in my model. Um, But the fact that he's 12th, despite being one of the lowest Sharks Gain Approach players over the last 36 rounds, I think speaks volumes to how well-rounded he has been, Um, especially on the comp difficult courses where he's 16th in comp course history. He is the reigning U.S. Open champion. Um, And what we know about Matt Fitzpatrick, since he's added all of this distance, is he can win a grind fest. He can win a tournament at 10 under. He was right in the mix and in a similar difficult conditions environment last year's Wells Fargo championship. That was his debut at the Wells Fargo. Finished T2. Um, just somebody who, if the conditions get tough and the course gets longer, that's somebody that I want some exposure to. I went back and forth between Sung Jay and Sam Burns and Matt Fitzpatrick. Um, and I think just because I didn't really want to stray beyond the top of the board, um, I sided with Fitz over taking like a 30 to one Burns or 28 to one Sung Jay and like another hundred to one guy. Um, I think this makes more sense to me that Fitzpatrick has less question marks even the questions of strokes gain approach, that's not factoring in um, that he was one of the best uh, approach players at the Masters two weeks ago, played well at the Zurich, finished top 10 there with his brother, and um, obviously won the RBC Heritage. So he's been playing injured. Seems like um, all of that injury concern is in the past. So um, if that is the case, I think it's a really good number for Fitz. I think he's getting a little bit of a discount without any reason. Um, and it's a perfect course fit for his style of play. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful that between these three guys at the top of the board, I took a similar approach last week, uh, that didn't work out because it was more of a prohibitive favorite that, uh, asserted his dominance. Um, so fingers crossed that that doesn't happen again with Rory McIlroy. If it doesn't, I think these three guys fit very well, um, for the task at hand to quote hollow. So that is going to do it for this week's video. Thank you guys again for tuning in. I wish you all the best of luck with your bets at the Wells Fargo Championship.